Welcome to the Portland Pentecostals podcast. We're happy you've decided to join us as we build a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. being here and being attentive and last week we ended in kind of a dark place because we're talking about the sovereignty of God and in looking at the sovereignty of God which means God's going to do what he wants to do and nobody can stop him if he really wants to do it in other words if you say "Uh uh-uh God you're not doing that uh get out of the way he's a steamroller you know it's just you will be obliterated uh if uh somebody else if God wants to work in your life, in my work, life, and somebody says, uh-uh, well, they can't stop God. Right. You and I can resist God and keep him from doing exactly what he would like to do in our life. But God is sovereign. In other words, he has this great big plan, and it's bigger than your plan and my plan. And if we'll listen to him and surrender to him, it's better. So we read the book of Habakkuk, and uh, uh, we learned that the immediate future of Judah was uh, captivity. And uh, we ended with reading chapter number two of Habakkuk and hearing about all the negative things that were going to happen and that God was actually going to make Babylon a world superpower. And they were evil. And God's saying they're evil. They're horrible. They're terrible. Uh, uh, their enemies run away like the, the dust of the sand. And you try to grab them with their hands and it just slips right through. And, and their faces are like wolves at night as the sun is going down. And uh, they're as fast as leopards. And all of this stuff that God says about how powerful this enemy is and how he's going to empower them. And then Habakkuk says, Really? You're going to use an evil person to punish us who are righteous? But then he has a come to Jesus moment, even though he doesn't know Jesus, where he realizes that they haven't been so good. And so we see uh, cause and effect in this. And then we mused on our current situations or what might happen soon in our lives. And, and that happens to be that sometimes we complain to God, we reason with God. In other words, we're praying. Sometimes it's reasoning. Sometimes it's praying. Sometimes it's praise. It's positive. And uh, maybe you're in the waiting period of your life, anxiously waiting, pensively biting your nails, or peacefully anticipating that God's going to answer you in a fashion that he's answered you before, which was positive. And there's something about us and the general cycle of life that uh, it just is what it is. There's observation, questions, waiting, and answers. And often the answers do not contain the words we want. And sometimes the answers contain rebuke. And in seasons, the answer brings comfort. But only God always has the answers. In other words, the prophet didn't even have the answers. We're not God, therefore, we observe with limited knowledge, we wonder, we question, we wait. And we read Habakkuk chapter number 2 and verse number 1 in the New Living Translation says, I will climb up to my watchtower now and wait and see what God, the Lord will say to me and how he will answer my complaint. So he characterizes that second prayer as a complaint and he says, now I'm just going to wait and see how God answers me. And the Amplified, it says, oh, I know I have been rash to talk out plainly this way to God. I will, in my thinking, stand upon my post of observation and station myself on the tower of fortress. 
and will watch and see what he will say within me and what answer I will make as his mouthpiece to the complexities of my complaint against him. And so he's saying what God's going to say within me. So he, he's not waiting for an angelic visit. He's not expecting that there will be this verbal explanation from God, this audible thing. He's just saying God's going to speak within me. Yeah. That's oftentimes the way it happens. And as I explained last week, God says to me, hey, stop that. And for most of you, he says, sweetie, could you please not do it? Yeah. That's what I thought, is that he speaks to us in the voice that we understand. And uh, sometimes, you know, we were the kid that, got, that mom had to say it more than once, and so uh, there's parts of our anatomy that grew out of self-preservation in order to give us a little more padding so it wouldn't hurt so bad. And God speaks to me very directly, and there's times where I don't hear from God, but I speak to him, and most of the time he answers me within my own thinking. Now, that's where praying in the Spirit is important. That's where reading regularly the Word of God, and that's where discussing spiritual things with those of us that are heading in the same direction is very, very positive, because it's out of those collection of thoughts that often God plants an answer in my thinking. And so the rest of chapter number uh, two, he's, he's talking about all that's going to unwind and unfold in the uh, captivity of Judah and them going away into the hands of the Babylonian. And then we read from the prophet that preceded Habakkuk in Isaiah 55 and said, my thoughts are completely different than yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. On a pause right there. Uh, he says, you can't even think, you can't even imagine it. So uh, we try to stretch our brains on how God's going to fix something or write something or unravel something. And we can't, even, uh, we can't even scratch the surface. God thinks totally different than us. He says, you can't even imagine my thoughts. So the only way we can get God's thoughts is have God moments where he speaks to us or read God's word where he explains himself to us and we go, oh, that's how it happens. Oh, that's the principle that I need to apply in my life. And then he gives us this comparison for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But there's also a realization expressed by Habakkuk at the conclusion of the pronouncement of God's sentence of darkness. And this is the last verse that we're going to read that we reread. Well, there's one more, but Habakkuk 2 and 20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Don't. It doesn't matter what the world says. You can rail on him. You can argue with him. You can tell him it's not fair. You can tell him the plan is flawed. You can push against him. But God's in his temple. In other words, God is. God is always where God is. It, none of that changes God and who he is and where he is. He's God. He's sovereign. So he says, well, at least I know where God is. He's in his holy temple. Now, Jerusalem had happened to exist at that time, and the temple was still standing. It wasn't until the captivity of Judah that all that was torn down. But there was a location in his mind. He says, well, I'm just going to get to church because I know God will answer me there. I'm just going to go into the, where God is, and he will answer me. 
The sovereign God is right where he always has been. God has not moved, but maybe you have. So if you can't hear his voice anymore, maybe you need to take the spiritual earmuffs off. Here's something that, it's a, it's a mystery to me, but it's a commonality, is that uh, we ask God to do a question and he answers us and then we don't do anything about it or we don't apply what he told us to do. And then six months later we ask God a question and, he, and he's silent and we wonder why he's silent. He says, well, you didn't listen to me last time. As humans, we understand that, don't we? That, that works. So remember, if you're trying to get to level four, whatever that is, and you're not listening to God about a level three, you don't get to man up like we talked about Super Mario on Sunday. You know, you don't get to get that magic coin and hit that button and go, woo, I'm all of a sudden at another level, and I pass that. No. Every one of them in Zion go from faith to faith. From strength to strength, from glory to glory. Those are three different scriptures. In other words, it's a progressive thing. The Bible tells us that when we come to God, it's line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And when we backslide, it's the same way. When we walk away from God. So we can, in our generation, read what Habakkuk had just begun to understand, and Malachi has a revelation in Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 6. I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already completely destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my laws and failed to obey them. Now return unto me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So we Habakkuk gets all this negative news, but now we have Malachi. And, and there's a difference because Malachi lives after the restoration or in the middle of the restoration, and they're already back from Babylon, and he says, you know why you're back? It's not because you're so good. It's because God's so merciful. That's why I'm able to stand in his presence and not be struck down. That's why I can bring my complaint boldly before the throne of grace in the time of need. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's not because I'm righteous. It's not because I'm all that in a bag of chips. Maybe I had too many bags of chips. So in chapter number three, we realize a huge shift in the cycle. And so in Habakkuk chapter three and verse number one, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shiganoth. Now, in other words, he's singing his prayer to God. We've heard this. We've read that in the book of David, and it's Shiganoth, and it's a little bit different, where it says, with wild abandon, he's singing to God. And remember where one time they stole the tune of the, of the dwellers of Gath, David did, and he rewrote the words? And that's kind of cool, because basically it was an in-your-face moment, because that's where Goliath was from, and then later his brothers were slain by David's mighty men, and now he writes this song and says, ah, you're, you're going to hear this song, and it's going to mess with your mind, because we're going to talk about how God delivered us from you. And so it, it wasn't the tune. The tune was important, but... It, there's some old songs we sing in the church that uh, they had their tune that came from somewhere else. You know, there's only, what, eight notes 
and then the sharps or the flats. It's, it's not that big. It's, an, it's a mathematical equation. And surely you're going to hear some runs in there. It was recently, who was it? I can't remember. They went to court and they were being sued because they had used certain notes in their song. And they won because he says, okay. And he got to court and he played a bunch of songs that all had those court, chords progressions in it. Because there's only so many chord progressions progressions. But the deal with David was, is he wanted them to understand, and I don't know exactly what tune Habakkuk was singing in, but now he sings to God. So he, he puts, in other words, there's strong emotion. He's not just quoting something. He's giving up from the deep of his spirit. And we read in verse number two, I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by amazing things you have done. In this time of our deep need, begin again to help us as you did in years gone by. Show us your power to save us. And in your anger, remember mercy. We're talking again about the sovereignty of God. He's saying, God, I know you can short circuit this. God, I know that we deserve to go into captivity and you've already said we're going into captivity, but somewhere in there, show some mercy. Show some kindness. If it weren't for the mercy of the Lord, where would we be? We'd all be out there doing something stupid tonight. Or we'd be pushing up daisies because we're six feet under. Not that daisy, but, you know, flowers. Because that's just the way it would be. Because we, we were living in self-destructive modes, many of us. And some of you have told of the times where you wanted to end it all because you were desperate, you were, uh, you were in despair. And other times where you should have died not at your own hands, but others' hands. But you can look in the rearview mirror and say, God showed up. Why? Because he has a plan for your life and my life. The sovereign God of the universe determined that he wanted to partner with you and I in this dispensation, in this time period, and as the church, we would become his extension, his bride. And he would show himself to the world through us. I'm thinking, that's a little cuckoo. Just look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow morning. <laughs> Tell me if you look anywhere like the bride of Christ. Well, what we do is we look into the mirror of the word of God and we behold ourselves according to the word of God and we don't walk away and forget what the word said, but we let the word work in our heart. If you love me, keep my commandments is kind of the way Jesus put it kind of succinctly. And so we let his word work in our heart and we remember it ain't over till it's over. Until God has finished the work in our lives. So this is not a prayer of wild imagining. And it's not a fantasy. And it's not words of delu a delusional human. The prophet is not ignoring the words of God. Or the consequences that they are about to face. And he's going to see and whine. And God answers Habakkuk. As he knew he would. In the thoughts of his mind. Nobody else hears it, but Habakkuk hears it, and we pray prayers to God, and nobody hears, but, and, and nobody needs the answers but us, because it's really very personal. It's life application, but the prophet of Israel, or of Judah, prays for Judah, and God gives him an answer concerning Judah. And he is remembering what God has done. 
And as God is speaking to him, he, he is referencing things to Habakkuk that he has done in the past, which tells me it's very important that we need to know what God has already done. That's why we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And it's the word of your testimony that strengthens me sometime. And your testimony and your testimony. And how God was with you in your agony. How God delivered you from your self-destructive lifestyle. How God comforted you in your moment of grief. And I say, well, God was there with them. Surely he's going to be here with me. And that's kind of the mindset that Habakkuk has. So he has this historical knowledge of what God has already done for Israel. And he's seen their uprising and their down sittings. And he's seen their backslidings and their coming back to God. And, and, and he, in, in all of that, he sees what God has done. And so he's reflecting as far back as the initial deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. And then a few other things are added in between. And so the story's kind of skewed a little bit because it's not just a clean line of in sequence, but he's seeing parts and pieces of God and what God has done for his people in the past. And instead of seeing the tragedy in it, he sees the glory of God in it. And that's what I have decided to do. Instead of seeing my failings and, and others' failures and backslidings, I choose to see how God rescues. Amen. To remember, he's, I know my Redeemer lives. And at that last day, I'll stand before him. That's, it's about redemption, folks. Uh, this book is about redemption. This journey is all about redemption. He has given us the word and the ministry of reconciliation. There's reconciliation. There's re redemption, reconciliation, and restoration that God wants to perform in our lives. And so the memory of what God has done, even if it was for other, becomes a powerful tool for Habakkuk. And Habakkuk begins to reflect on how God, in his days gone by, showed up and delivered his people. And what an amazing word picture. And so I'm going to do something that Brother Anthony said somebody else did. And so what I'm going to do in a moment, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read the answer that God gave to Habakkuk in his heart because it's a word picture. It's something that you can imagine. It's like you read the book and then you watch the movie and go, oh, that was pretty poor. Anybody ever done that? Because our imagination can create things that don't exist. And I told you I like to read Christian science fiction and I don't know if that's a real thing, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, what got me started, it was This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, two amazing books. And I segued from that into his other books and some other authors' books and some others. And, and so I know there's some reality in there. It's reality-based, but it's the imagination. And these writers are writing out of their imagination and seeing the spiritual battle and the warfare, but the ultimate victory of those that are submitted to Christ. And as I read those, it, I mean, the word pictures that are created are fantastic. And so there's some of those authors I like to read just because of the word pictures they paint in my mind. And because I study and do work reading every once in a while, that's just my escape. But it also has a spiritual application. So if you'll close your mind, 
eyes. I'm going to read to you your mind, yeah? <laughs> Close your mind, open your heart. I'm going to read Habakkuk chapter number three. God came from Teman, the Holy One from the Mount Paran. Think about it. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth and looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, uh, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Think about it. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted up its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation like Joshua and Agilon. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations with anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, your salva for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation of your neck. Your veins bulged. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at that voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes to the people, he will invade them with his troops. The end of God's answer. I don't know if you've got a picture in there somewhere, but God's pretty mighty. The Lord rides on a swift cloud, he says. He says the dust are, the, the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rides on the wind. That's the God that we serve, you serve. That's the sovereign God that we have determined that we're going to submit to his sovereignty, his plan, his will, his design for our lives. And so he says, yes, I see what's coming, but I see what you did in the past because eventually the cycle changed and instead of being punished, they were rewarded. Instead of being in captivity and slavery, now they have their own nation. Time and again the story can be told, whether it's the nation as a whole or individuals like Joseph. And the change in their lives. Because of what God has spoken to the mind of Habakkuk, the tone of his writing changes. His thinking is lifted to what God can do to save rather what, than what God is about to do to punish. Prayer changes things. It can move the hand of God, but most of the time it changes my view of God and my view of the circumstance or situation. 
His mind's no longer stuck in the past. His expectation is for the future. He's not looking forward and saying, oh no, this is going to be bad and it's never going to get better. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. We're going to be destroyed and we're never going to rise again. He knew then this was a transitional season. He had observed the frailty of man and he understood the character of God. Those two things are so important to go side by side because in our frailty, we see our weaknesses, our inabilities. We see the evil of man. We see the negativity. We see the hopelessness. But then when we see the mercy of God and the grace of God, it's like... That's why when I come into the house of God, I rejoice and sometimes I dance and, and I shout. Is because I, I know I don't deserve to be here, but I'm here because of His mercy. I could never make this journey by myself, but by the grace of God. By His empowerment, I will live above sin. And the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. And sometimes it's that hand with fire shooting out of it that picks us up. Sometimes it's that feet, he just reaches down and you see all the broiling clouds and he goes, come with me and I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to take you to the secret place of the Most High. I'm going to hide you under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm going to protect you till the storm passes by. I'm going to renew you. I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you better than you were. And really it's the adversity that causes us to face our frailty and shortcomings and allows us the opportunity to say, God, I really could use some help now. Not just to get out of the circumstance, but to change who I am. You know, I was praying and I told my wife this and uh, a couple years ago I was praying about something and and, and God said, oh, you're not dying. You're going to live to be an old man. How old's old? Well, my granddaughters think I'm old already. <laughs> yeah, I am. Did she say that? Or, did, or, or were you the ventriloquist that used her to say that? She said that her own. Well, if I'm old, then what is... Never mind. <laughs> wow. That was Sister Dolores for all of you that are listening to the podcast. Uh, I'm out in her. <laughs> I know at least one person on that row is. So we're fine. Uh, it was you. It was you. What are you? Who are you talking about? Uh, but, but God works on us, doesn't he? And we open ourselves to us. And God said, well, you're going to live to old age. So uh, when recently I went through surgery and got sick and everything, I, I, it, was not, it was not a happy time, but I, I thought, I'm going to get through this. Why? Because God said, I've got something else for you to do. Just remember, when God has given you promises, he keeps his promises. It's going to happen, so you'll get through this. You'll somehow make through this. When I go through the water, I will not be overcome. When I go through the fire, it's not going to burn me up, you know. That's, that's the promises of God. 
That's the mercy of God toward you and me. And we're all Christians on a journey. We're all pilgrims in progress. We're all going somewhere. So because of all these observations and these expectations, he realized that no matter how it appeared, God was control. No matter how bad it looked. No matter how others treat you, God is in control. Maybe God's trying to work something in you. And when I was sick recently, I said, so God, what are you trying to get me to learn? Because I'd rather not be sick like this again. And so I know God, even if he didn't send the sickness, he allows it. And in that time of weakness, I become strong in the Lord. And I learn something about me and hopefully something about him and his plan for me. So when adversity comes, I first thing I say is, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Some of that's because Steve doesn't want to do it again. And some of it's because I know the character of God. That all things work together for the good. To them that love God. And are thee called according to his purpose. It doesn't say it's all good baby. No it all works together for good. To them that love God. And how do we prove we love God? We keep his commandments. We follow after him. We love one another. As Christ loved us. We forgive as Christ forgave. So that's a little segue. But no if you rarely get what you want. God's still in control. No matter how long the struggle, God is in control. I remember when my mom was dying of cancer. It was in her last few months, and we were uh, worshiping at a church together. It was my, uh, we were all together. It was where my sister lived, and uh, there we were. And one day, uh, my mom got up, and she decided they were gonna, she was going to testify. This was in the day where anybody could say anything they wanted in testimony service. You can't do that here. Commercial break. Is that... She stood up and she said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet in my flesh I shall see God, I shall behold him and not another. And you read that, and, and, and afterwards she said, Stephen, I don't know what God's keeping me here for, but he's still working on me. And you remember that there's something for us to do on the other side, and he's preparing us in this life for the life to come. He that is faithful over little shall be made ruler over what much? He that is faithful over one city will be made ruler over ten. You look at it, uh, God's going to reward us. New heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And you're saying, how is everybody going to fit on there? Well, maybe the new earth's going to be bigger than the old earth. We don't know. The city as it's described, Jerusalem, comes down from God out of heaven and sits on the new earth. And it's 1,500 miles cubed, not just squared. It's a big city, dude. It's bigger than any city. And all the saints of the ages will be there and they will worship him and they'll go in and come out and they'll rule over the earth and the kings of the earth will bring their sacrifices to him. I want to go there, folks. And so while I'm going there, I want to learn something about the one that I'm going to live with and I want him to make me what I should be. I want to learn. So I see, I observe, I question, I complain. I, 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 oh no, I pray and I wait for God to answer me inside of me. And remember, the same spirit that lived in Christ Jesus lives inside of you. And if you get to know that word and you feed that spirit, spirit and truth, 
They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And between spirit and truth, oh, what a dynamic duo that is. Because now we're no longer walking in the flesh, but we're walking after the spirit. And then we're the sons of God. And when we're the sons of God, we're much more important than Israel was. But God had a plan for all of Israel. And no matter how long the struggle is, God is in control. No matter if you can't see your way to victory or the reason to, there's no reason to fear what others say because God is in control. And evil will eventually lose because God is in control. He's current. He's on time. He's compassionate. He has a master plan. And I'm so glad I know the God who has the answers. I know him intimately. Because I'm not just with him like Peter and John, but he's in me. Like he later became for Peter and John. And I don't just touch his flesh and behold him and behold his majesty. But I feel him moving in my heart and I feel the glory of his power and his presence. Is it that way every day? No! I'm like Habakkuk. Sometimes I complain about the way things aren't going like they should go with the people of God. And God answers me. And sometimes he answers me and says, teach on this or preach on this or pray about this or wait for this. I'm so glad I know his character. God is light. God is love. He's faithful. He cannot lie. He knows the end from the beginning. He swears and he does it. I know his track record. I know his word. I know his love. The greatest thing that he has done is love me. Therefore, the greatest thing I can do is love you like he loved me. And I know that God's still working on me. And so Paul writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 1 and verse 6. And I am sure that God who began the work, good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ comes back again. He ain't done with you yet. As long as you're living and breathing, He's still trying to do something in your life. Just like my mom said weeks before she passed from this life. I don't know what he's trying to do, Stephen, but I hope he gets done what he needs to get done. And I want him to do whatever he wants to do. Because it's not about me. It's about his bigger plan. It's not about me being in control or being a god or a pseudo-god. It's about God being in control. very, very interesting. And I mentioned something about this Willie Soon. If you look up Dr. Willie Soon, and he's a, he's a, a Malaysian, and he's an astrophysicist. And so he's a Christian astrophysicist, so they kind of kicked him out of their community because they don't like him because he believes in God. And he says, I look at mathematics and I look at some of these. Uh, we didn't know protons existed. We knew electrons existed. And the guy that discovered protons, he said it. And everybody said, oh, you're crazy, you're crazy. And a few years, the whole community is saying, you're right, there's protons. They're the sisters uh, uh, of neutrons. And, and you've, you've got to have both of them to make it work. And he says, when I see these things in mathematics and how organized it is, I just have to bow down and say, holy, holy, holy. 
When we look at the, the order of the universe compared to the disorder of, and the confusion among men, but the world still keeps spinning. The man said this, he says, I don't want to take any money from Bill Gates. I don't want to take any money from uh, uh, all of these climate people. He says, I asked them, what temperature do you want the earth? And they can't t- cannot tell me. And he says, with 90, 90% accuracy, we believe the problem is the sun. How do I change the temperature of the sun? He said, you think you're gods. We cannot do that. Only God can do that. You see, there's some things we just got to accept. As long as the earth is exists. There's summer and winter, seed time and harvest. Spray your hairspray if you want. Of course, it doesn't have aerosols anymore, so find something else. Drive your dinosaur oil-driven, gas-driven car. Because till Jesus comes, it's going to be there. You want to speed it up? Oh, no. Listen to the amplified version of that same verse. And I am convinced And sure of this thing, that he who began a good work in you, this is not about himself, it's about the church that he had started, will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to a full completion in you. I'm so glad he which has begun will perform. Because I need some work. And I'm not just talking about the wrinkle on my forehead. But I need some work. I need God to do something inside of me. I still need him to work on my attitude because sometimes it stinks. I need him to work on my, my expectations and my faith and, and, and how I'm living. Because I'm not quite like him yet. In fact, I'm a long ways from him. But I'm pursuing and so we conclude our lesson tonight with the very last verses of Habakkuk's prayer song. So we read all of that pictorial language of what God had did. You go read it again. And when you read the Word of God, this is what I do sometimes before I teach you guys. I go onto an app called Bible.is and it reads it to me. And I listen to it in different versions and I go, Wow. That paints the picture different. And sometimes I hear it different than I've ever read it because you know how it is. You can read something and proofread your own thing and you've left a whole word out and you don't know it and everybody else is going, look at their post. You know, because you just, it's the way it is because we get stuck in our own mind. So I'm going to sing with Habakkuk. Chapter 3 and verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food. Remember, they're a, a farming society. Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and He will make me walk on the high hills. He said, nothing's changed, but he remembers what God did in the past. So he's going to worship God with expectation. And he says, uh, you can look at it and say, my bank account's drained, and my car ain't running right, and somebody ran into the right front fender, and, uh, and my, I just tore a hole in my best work pants today. But 
I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. I'm going to rejoice in Him, not in who I am, not in what's going on in the world, but in Him, in my relationship with God Almighty. Jesus isn't just some demigod or pseudo-god. He was God wrapped in flesh. That seed that was planted as Mary was planted of the Holy Ghost. It was planned from the beginning. And when he burst out of the womb and when he finally walked into the temple and he took the whip and started cleaning house, you have made, oh, this is my house. It's not just my daddy's house. This is my house. Yeah. You made it a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Good advertisement for Thursday night prayer meeting. And he chased him out. So what do I rejoice in? I rejoice in him. Look at who he is. <laughs> Look at how great he is. Because I know there's cycles in life. Uh, and I may be poor, broke, and, and there may be red numbers on my bank account uh, or in brackets. Uh, but uh, it'll come back. God will get me if there if I apply the right principles. If I, I live, You know, you can do everything right and still be broke. You can do everything right and still have a thorn in the flesh. Ask Paul, read his writings. You can still do everything right and die a martyr. They got their names written in the foundations of heaven. And John said that before he even died. Some of them were still alive when he wrote that book. And he says, oh, I saw, I saw my name there. I wonder what kind of motivation that gave to him. It's like, well, it, my name's there. I, I'm getting there. I'm climbing my name spot. I don't know what floor John's on. Twelfth floor? I don't know what floor you're going to live on. Probably be a decent view, and if there's not, we can go anywhere we want anyway. Oh, I forgot to read the very last part of the verse. Habakkuk says, this is to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. In other words, he's saying, everybody that comes to church needs to hear this song. Everybody needs to know, no matter how bad it gets, everybody needs to know, if God is allowing you to be punished because of your actions, He is a redeemer. He is a restorer. Can we stand and thank Him for that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your restoration. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your patience, your long-suffering toward us, not willing that any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, I worship you sovereignly.